Welcome to Counterintelligence. This is Eric LeVay. Today's guest is Rob Goldstone. Thanks to Patreons Dana Berry, Andre Dunka, William Healy, Angela Jackson, Zacharias Zscore Kaminsky, Sasha Millstone, Craig Pierce, Greg Schneider, and Jason Zimmerman. Rob Goldstone, welcome to Counterintelligence. How are you today, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm hot, actually. I don't understand why it's so hot and it's mid September. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about that. And, uh, you know, Rob, it's great to have you back on. We just for the audience, we spoke about a year ago. I was doing a. Um, when I was doing my Mueller Time podcast before I, I joined up with Forensic News. So I just, um, again, want to thank you for coming back to the show in this hot weather. <laughs> uh, and out here in L.A., it is where I am. It is supposed to be a record temperature. I think 107 on Sunday. I don't even want to, I don't even want to say that out loud. Wow. Uh, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. These times in which we live are <laughs> truly crazy on every level. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to talk to you first about, Robin, we'll, uh, We'll get into everything else later, but I also want to talk about, uh, you got a new podcast, An, an Englishman In. Is that is that the right title? It is. It's An Englishman In dot, dot, dot. And it's called that because every episode has a different last name. So I'm like an Englishman in turmoil, an Englishman in crisis, an Englishman in technophobia. Of course, I'm an Englishman in what I call Trumpton, which is this make-believe world. And, um, yeah, so I wanted something that could change every episode completely. Yeah, and I want to ask you, so, I mean, how is it, how do you like, just in general, how do you like podcasting? I mean, I I know from my end how much fun it is, but what do you you think about it? So I was um, not a believer originally. From the minute my story broke and I got my sort of 50 minutes of, infamy which i never asked for um people said to me you should do podcasts and i wasn't a great podcast listener or podcast follower and i was like well what would i talk about i can't possibly just keep talking about this email because i've said so much there's nothing left to say so i kind of avoided the issue i wrote a book and then when i wrote the book people said it's a shame you don't do a podcast and i was so sick of listening to about podcasting So this year, of course, we're in lockdown and I kind of ran out of things to do. (laughs) It's like, I have no idea what to do. And again, people said, why don't you do a podcast? And I would only do it for two reasons. One, I could think of a clever title and B, I could think of what to say. And both of those things suddenly came to me and I thought, great, I'll do a podcast. And I, yeah, I took a look. I, I, I know you have a four or five episodes out, but you've, you've got some pretty great guests. I mean, Jeffrey Tubin, I, and you got Luke Harding. Uh, I've got Luke Harding. We talk all about his book, Collusion. Um, and I actually, my episode is called An Englishman in Collusion. And I tell him how only for him would I ever say that phrase <laughs> relating to myself. And that no doubt when it comes out, crazy hysterical people on Twitter will say, oh my God, Rob Goldstone says he's in collusion. But I do try and explain it's about his book, not my life. (laughs) Yeah, and I I saw you had Tom Arnold too. That's got to be an entertaining one. Uh, You know what? It's really entertaining. It's currently uh, being edited. And one of the great things about Tom is he has fabulous stories. You know, it's so so odd that this, this few years that I've had. I was doing an interview uh, with Sirius Radio a few years ago, maybe two years ago. Mm. And I was coming out and Tom Arnold was coming in. And I nodded because we nod. We all nod at each other. And he said to me, Rob Goldstone. And I said, wait, you don't actually know who I am. 
And he goes, no, of course I know who you are. And I said, but that's ridiculous. And he said, can I have a selfie with you? And I said, and that's even more ridiculous. So we kept chatting and, and he, he's such a nice guy. And, you know, we had a great podcast. I was actually ran for an hour. The podcast is half an hour. But, you know, I, I kind of, A, couldn't shut him up and B, didn't want to. So it's really interesting. His is a great one as well. Jeff Tubin's is really good because... He's one of uh, the people I met with during my kind of pre-book launch tour. And he invited me to lunch at this very fancy club because he's very clever and went to a very clever university that has clubs with dining rooms in them. And, um, you know, he, we were chatting and we were talking and I found him really interesting. And, um, you know, again, we kept in touch a little bit. One of the things he says in this podcast is something which a lot of people have said to me, but probably never quite as blunt. He goes, you know, whatever else you do in your life, you wrote the most famous email of the 21st century. Well, that's also shocking. <laughs> so, And on, yeah. the, uh, on that note, I was going to say, like, well, um, maybe we'll, uh, you know, we'll talk about, probably won't rehash too much of that, but just for the audience, like, I, I think that just most of the players in, in what happened in the 2016 election, I, in my personal opinion, it, it sort of was what it looked like. But I do think that, unfortunately, I think you were the rare, maybe the only one that it was not what it it was not what it looked like on the surface. So I just want to kind of put that out there because um, I, I think everybody. No, else, I, I, you know, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that from you. And actually, you know, I I've met met with and met probably let's just say a hundred media figures and of that hundred probably 98 have said to me well we knew you weren't really that but it was a really good story and you wore ridiculous hats and you did check in and it trumped out i get it i used to be a journalist i was a tabloid journalist i do get it but there is a very thin line um what what i think um I, I did a podcast this morning uh with a radio presenter in the uk and we talked about this a little bit I think what we've lost as a society is what I used to call the gray area. So you can have your opinion. I can have my opinion. We can both voice those opinions and have a really healthy debate at the end of which I might find a little bit of gray where I could move a bit on mine. And you might find a bit of gray where you're open to hearing other things. I think that's how, as a society, we used to be. But now there is no gray. You're either one thing or you're another. And that comes from the top, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a shame because, you know, I, I, I want to I give an example here, mm -hmm. which will cause some sort of um, uncomfortableness for some of your listeners. And mm -hmm. I know this because they already have. When, when Scott started this station, I have to say I've never met him. I don't know him. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't always the kindest to me in writing, but he's always been fair. I congratulated him on starting this podcast, this series, because as a former journalist, I started when I was 16. I support what young journalists do. People could not understand that and attacked him, not me, mm. for how dare you allow this character being me <laughs> to congratulate you on something and that's the point i'm trying to make we don't have to agree on anything 
that I should be able to wish somebody good luck with something for a completely different set of values that I have, which is I admire when somebody like I did do something for themselves at a young age, which embodies journalism and investigative reporting. That's what I was at his age. So I'm just saying, I think we've lost the gray and we're all black and white and it's a shame and we see it playing out every day in every aspect of life. Yeah, and, and I also think, uh, as with anything, when you know, when, some, when a story's about you, of course, you've experienced it in a way that no one else will because it's you. You know yourself. So correct. Uh, everyone else, you know, we can only read we read the papers and we can only go what we have. And even since you and I last spoke, there are more information came out. So, like, for example, I was able to read all the, you know, the House and Senate, uh, even those right. FBI 302s, even though they're redacted. So, um, sure. And, it, you know, said what, you know, what you said. So, um uh, so, I have did yeah. really, the, you know, a couple of people said, uh, Jeff Tuber said, the Mueller report basically said what I'd said as well, which was in, the sim- in its most simplistic term, what, if you wanted to sum up Don Jr.'s reaction or response, I've always said I was too stupid, naive, and not <laughs> even born in this country to know that what I was saying shouldn't have been said. He was potentially too stupid, naive, and or a bit dumb to realize that he couldn't receive that. But I still maintain Paul Manafort was in that meeting as the chairman of the campaign. I may have been naive, he may have been dumb, but one would think that the chairman of the campaign would have known better. So I think, you know, but, but, but I always knew that where I was going with this was, if my email and the subsequent meeting was to form a cornerstone of Mueller's inquiry, discovering there was collusion, I was fairly certain they wouldn't. Because as you said, I know the story because it's about me. People don't have to believe me. But I I use a quote, I think it was by uh, Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who said, you're entitled to your own thoughts, but you're not entitled to your own facts. And that's what I try and say to people. I don't care what you think of me, but look at the facts. You can't make facts up. You can make your opinions up, but don't make facts up. Yeah, and there's, you know, a lot has come out. And unfortunately, like, and it's for another show, but the, the, in my opinion, the Mueller inquiry, uh, inquiry clearly, now that we know that, that this, the much more massive uh, Senate right. intelligence report came out confirming that Paul Manafort essentially had a business partner who is an active Russian intelligence agent, Konstantin Kalimnik. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. not, I don't know what happened. And like I said, that's for another show. Um, that yeah. doesn't have anything to do with you, but I, the Mueller inquiry will forever kind of frustrate me and confuse me, I guess. Uh, it also, on some level, I suppose it becomes even more confusing and disturbing to some because on some level, and I could be wrong, but I don't care. I think the public who were most anti-Trump saw Bob Mueller as their savior. Mm. Bob Mueller was going to stand up and go, this is the devil, and here is our evidence. And because he didn't, and I think if you look at Bob Mueller and the type of investigator that he is, I don't think he was ever going to do that. He's not that kind of character. So it all played out that we waited and we waited and we waited And it was this anticlimactic sort of 
pile of, I don't mean nothing because there were things said in it, but he didn't turn out to be this kind of Robin Hood character that, you know, brought us all to safety from the clutches of this, you know, evil villain. I, I don't think, I don't think that's how he viewed this inquiry, but I think it's how a lot of the public did. You're right. We, uh, the world, we need, I know I did. I needed a hero. Uh, it doesn't look that's, like I got yeah. one, but, but yeah, maybe that hero will still emerge. Who knows? Uh, and yeah, who knows? I was going to say on one more note. So also, I think also the fact, and then we'll, I want to talk about the podcast, but just, I think just the fact that Luke Harding, who really is one of the, if not the premier journalist about, um, you know, an, an, ex, an absolute beyond expert in Russian intelligence and, and what happened. I think the fact that you, he, you know, goes on your podcast and, and Tubin, I think is, is complimentary to you, uh, you know, that you, so. that you told the truth. I don't think those guys would jump on the show otherwise. No, I appreciate you saying that. And, and I appreciate it for this reason, that if you go on Twitter on any day at any time on my Twitter, there are still people who believe in their mind that Bob Mueller got it wrong, that Senate Intelligence, that everybody got it wrong except them. And their evidence for that is, look what Rob Goldstone said and or did. And what I find, again, it's this gray they could think that initially, but having listened to interviews and testimony and everybody else and their views, why are people in today's society not able at least to grow a little bit and go, oh, that was interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't hear that. I think people, I think Trump is so polarizing. It's as simple as that, yeah. that if you believe one thing, Unfortunately, you're not open to hearing anything other than that. And I think it's a shame. And so, yes, when people like Luke Harding or Jeff Chibben or Tom Arnold, not exactly Donald <laughs> Trump's biggest fan also. And again, I don't need them to be my fan. It's the fact that they are all able to look at it and go, you know, Tubin says to me, you told me something when we first met that I hadn't thought of, and yet it forms now a, a part of his book. I think both Don Jr., and my client, Emin Aguilera, did it for daddy. They did it for their fathers. They both took this meeting and offered this meeting just to appease their overbearing fathers. They're very similar. They have very similar fathers. They have very similar dynamics. The Aguilaras were called the Trumps of Russia. So I think Emin, to shut his father up, said yes to a meeting that he didn't really understand everything about. So by the time I got it, it was already a garbled mess. And I think Don Jr., who nobody cared about in the run-up to that election, except me, and I sent him this, and I think he would have gone in waving this thing, saying, look, Daddy, somebody cares to share this with me. I think they both did it for their overbearing fathers. And I think both of them, could have put a halt to a lot of all this, are they spies, are they this, just by saying, we did it to be important. We're idiots. We're whatever. I think it's better to say I'm a giant fool who should have known better <laughs> than to be accused of everything, whether officially or unofficially, both of those people were accused of. But that's not the way either of them live their lives. And they don't come from families that behave like that. But that's one of the things Tubin talked about in the podcast was when he thought about it and investigated it more, 
there were such clear similarities between the dynamics and the relationships of these two families. Everybody has a uh, a boss. I mean, that's the the way I look right. at it, some of this experience is like Emin was, you know, technically your boss, uh, your only client. So he asked you to do something, and you you know that's what happened. And then, he, but Emin has a boss too, his father, and absolutely a hundred percent, absolutely, uh, and a boss who. You know, when people talk about Emin being the billionaire, Emin isn't the billionaire. The father's empire is the billion dollar. And if you live from that, of that, a part of that, and you're the only son, that is how you behave. And again, you know, we're not doing an analysis of Emin, but Emin's a, you know, a musician at heart. He plays video games. He's crazy. He's fun. And he doesn't listen. So it wouldn't have shocked me. He's never said this, but it wouldn't shock me if he said, I didn't even listen to what my father said. I heard bits of it because I've been with him for four and a half years at that stage. I've seen him, how he behaves, where he goes, I don't need to know facts. Just give me, you know, bullet points. Well, on something like this, you needed all the facts. So not only did he probably, not totally, because no one's ever told me this, but probably not have all the information. But then when he passes it on, he's, even less inclined to give me any of the detail. So it's a horrible game of telephone, but it's based on fact. The one thing I do always point out, a lot of people say, Rob Goldson just made all this up out of thin air. Well, if I made it up out of thin air, considering she did talk about it at the meeting, then I must be on like America's Got Talent. So I didn't make it up out of thin air. I made it out of some very, very specific bits of information but it wasn't all there. So the rest of it was puffed. And that's where people get this wrong a little bit. It wasn't something out of my make-believe. It was making Emin's scant information better to get Don Jr.'s attention. Well, I, I think, and then uh, for those listening, if you want to hear like a, a year ago, we went through kind of, Rob and I went through a sort of a detailed, um, I, I remember right. going through this. So you can listen to the, go back about a year in the this podcast timeline. Um and you can find it. But what I think what was crazy was that just like it, it's almost impossible to believe that in that email, um, it's just it was almost this crazy thing where you even pick these words that are like crown prosecutor. That is a common term. But to those of us who are in America, we didn't know that's a British term for a prosecutor. So it really sounded like a spy novel. Um, and it, right. <laughs> And it's the only thing, uh, people ask me all the time, is there anything you regret? There are two things that I regret about that email. The third thing is that I sent it, like that I even picked the phone up that day <laughs> to Emin. But let's just get rid of that one. The two things are that, one, I said, I use the English terminology for what would be a federal prosecutor in the state. I grew up in England when I studied journalism. You study a little bit of politics and and law, and you know that all prosecutors represent the crown in England. Therefore, they're called crown prosecutors. I use that word as opposed to federal just because of where my place of birth is. However, what I regret most is my terminology about Hillary Clinton. And the reason for that is if I'd given more thought to phrasing it, There was never any suggestion by Emin that she had done something wrong. It was that this lawyer said there was some dodgy funding to the campaign for the Democratic presidential candidate, who by default was her. 
So if it had been Bernie, it would have been Bernie in my email. If it had been you, it would have been Eric. Mm -hmm. The point is, the way I wrote it, and I look back on it, the implication is that there was information that she had done something wrong. And that's the one thing that I regret in all of that, that her name was there. Yeah, and I mean, look, I think, I think look, the, the bottom line is um, you, you owned up to it. I, I think that to all of us who've been so affected by the last four years, I mean, I know personally like that, that's important to me. And that's, I think so many Americans would feel so much better if just in general, people just, any, any, anyone who had any peripheral involvement to, would just say, look, this is what happened. This is why. But that's what's so um, upsetting to like with, I don't know, let's say like, um, I don't know, a Don Jr. or somebody that it's just their perspective is just to tell everyone to fuck off. Like that's right. And that's what I'm saying. I yeah. believe, here's another great example. When Don Jr. said it was about adoption and everyone went ballistic and everyone said, don't be ridiculous. Now, I have to tell you, the core of that meeting was about adoption. But what he should have said, and it would have cleared things up, is we thought it was going to be about whatever, dirt on Hillary. It turned out to be about Magnitsky and adoption and it would have been perfect. I walked away from that meeting and called my client and said, we just had a meeting about adoption. I've no idea what they were talking about. So that was the only takeaway. But when you understand, again, context is really important. Well, adoption is a major part of the sanctions put on America by Russia because of its sanctions over Magnitsky. And if you understand all of that, then you don't jump up in the air and go, well, that's outrageous. Of course, it's not about adoption. Adoptions is hugely important. I know that because I'm sitting watching TV a year or so ago and Trump and Putin are in Helsinki and suddenly Putin, through an interpreter, is mentioning the very names that she mentioned and talking about Magnitsky, talking about Bill Browder. That's who she was claiming was it was outrageous that he'd funded some of Hillary's campaign. And here's Vladimir Putin talking about it in Helsinki. So yes, it's hugely important, but without context, it sounds ridiculous. The same is true as what I just said earlier on. If Don Jr. had said, I shouldn't have taken the meeting, I didn't know I shouldn't have taken the meeting, now I know I shouldn't have taken it, I admit I was foolish. I believe you get far more people saying, you're an idiot, but you're not, you weren't trying to be whatever, a spy or a something. I don't understand why you wouldn't say that, but I do if you come from a family whose name is Trump and who don't appear to apologize for anything. Yeah, and I, well, I mean, the minute, the minute that meeting happened, I, the, the, it seems like the purpose, um, well, there was more than one, but was it also instantly made the room uh, dirty, which is kind of like how... The right. intelligence services operate. I'm, you know, uh, right. Which I, I yeah. think was. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but that to me, she could have come in there and talked about I don't know, uh, cartoons or something, and there was already right. a problem. Right. But the irony is, what she did to me looked like. And again, I only know all of this two. Is it two years, three years, however long it is since this conversation meeting? Yeah. Because that's all people talk to me about. At the time, I was checking an email, and all I cared about was the traffic in the Lincoln Tunnel going back to New Jersey. So we should put that in perspective as well. But the reality is, 
that she had an agenda. She wasn't there just to dirty that room. She, she was there, I later learned, as a paid lobbyist to remove the sanctions uh, from the Magnitsky Act. And so for her, it was important. The tying of the two together, what I've later been able to piece together, is that it was always about Magnitsky, but there were two parts to it. The very people she was saying had the dirt, the dirt that was in my email, were the same people as were the Magnitsky's. So it was Bill Browder and the Ziff brothers. The problem was, it wasn't interesting to the Trump team, which is why Jared was like, I have no idea what you're talking about and why Don Jr. stopped the meeting. But also, it wasn't relevant to talk about Magnitsky because to give Don Jr. a touch of credit, he stopped her instantly and said, I don't know why you're addressing this to me or to us. My father isn't in public service. He's a, he's a private citizen currently. So address it to the Obama administration. And he wasn't wrong in that particular instance. So, but yes, the room is then dirty because who knows who the heck is in there? I had no idea who these other people were. Um, but, but she had an agenda. It was very obvious. And her agenda w revolved around trying to perhaps influence Trump to lift these sanctions. And there may be things we don't know about that happened. We don't uh, know. You exactly. know, that maybe we'll learn it exactly. at some point. Fortunately for all of us, she was later indicted in a separate matter and is now not in America, which I think is probably a good thing. Um, right. Although, who knows? Maybe she – would you ever have Vessel in the Sky on the, uh, on the podcast? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I mean, I wouldn't. And, and also, I, I don't like people that um, – she sort of, she, she's another of these people. You know, it's funny. Uh, Emmons' father also said a silly thing at one point where when he was asked about me, he said, Rob Goldson, I don't know if I know him. Now, that's fine if it's your friend next door that doesn't know me, who may have met me once. But, I mean, this is a man who I'd probably met him about 100 times. I'd almost, I'd holiday with him in back to, I'd stayed in his house, I'd flown in his plane, I was his son's manager, I'm friends with his wife, his daughter. I mean, it's a ridiculous statement. Now, he did wind that back and, and say it was a, um, what's the word, that it was a language issue. Hmm. My point is, Vessel Nitzkaya said equally ludicrous things. Uh, it's Rob Goldstone that wanted the meeting. It was all about Rob Goldstone. Well, how did this benefit me in any way, shape or form? So when people can't be honest, even if they have an agenda, no, I wouldn't be interested in talking to her. I think the big thing to take away, and then we'll definitely talk about the podcast, is that let's say in that room there were, I forget, eight, ten people, whatever it was, uh, and everyone had their own, and on that campaign too, everyone had their own agenda. Some people, like you said, uh, you had a boss, Emin, and Emin has a boss's father, and then other people like Manafort are – basically sort of international criminals and then there's the there's right-wing ideologues i right. don't know like and i i think that what i took away from this is that it is complex um i personally reserve my anger for the the ideologues the people like who are that's who i feel like even manafort i have to be honest while i don't like anything that he did he doesn't mm -hmm. bother me in the same way that stephen miller does who you know hurts immigrant children or something just right um, the only thing I think about Manafort then, and I've said, I said this at one of the hearings, I'm not here to throw anyone under a bus because he does very well at throwing himself under his own bus. But I think at a time when a lot was leveled at me, including by these investigative committees, and 
well, didn't you know you shouldn't do this? Well, didn't he know he was the chairman of the campaign? <laughs> so not only did he know, but he was there in it. So he had plenty of opportunities before and during and after to then report it and did none of those things. So you could argue, I never argued that this was the case for me, but you could argue that, well, how would I know anything was wrong if it was? Surely that's someone who would have said something about it. Um, anyway, it, it is what right. it is. But, uh, but you know, I, I, think, I think it was such a centerpiece of Russiagate because it was almost one of the only tangible things. People could say, look, here's a correspondence between Rob and Don Jr. and Don Jr. and Manafort and Kushner and whatever, all about this. A meeting did take place. That was established. And here's people who can talk about that meeting. So I think that's why it became such a focus. Not even the fact that it was, um, you know, wrong for them to have accepted it. I think more than that even, it was tangible evidence. Everything else seems a bit like, you know, was there a P-tape? Is the steel dossier correct? Is it this? Is it that? This was more, it's real. These people will talk about it. So I, I think that's why it became, you know, central to it. It's also like, it's so, I mean, I, I know you've thought about this, like, it's just so crazy that that even, <laughs> like my recollection, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you told Emin, like, we're not, this is, why are we doing this, right? Like there was some kind I of- I told Emin, no, I told Emin, yeah, I pushed back. I said to him, nothing good can come from this. Right. Why would you do this? But I do have to say, I wish I could say it's because I was brilliantly political and had great foresight. It wasn't that. It was from a selfish perspective. I thought from the minute Donald Trump said he was going to run for president, I believed he would win, not because he was fit to be president, but because I had seen him up close charm people, make them believe he was for them and their friends. And I believed America was possibly in the right frame of mind for what I like to call the reality show president. Mm. So because of that, when Emin asked me to do this and wouldn't give me all this information, like, why is it so important? Who is this person? Whatever. My pushback was, in my mind, he's crazy. If mm. Donald Trump becomes president, I already had got Donald Trump to be in one of Emin's music videos. I could probably get Emin's next video shot in the White House. Why are we wasting a favor for some random attorney that allegedly Emin has no idea really who it is. I've no idea what he's talking about. And it's a favor for his father. So yes, I did push back, but the pushback, if I'm honest, was from a selfish perspective, which is why would we waste a favor with a man who may become the president of the United States? I think people make uh, mistakes for different reasons. And I think that, that's what I took away. Like, like I said, like uh, a Manafort who did it for the money. I mean, he he works always in Republican circles, but I don't, I don't know what Manafort believes. A Kushner right. who is basically a, I think a sociopath who just uh, he's a the guy was a registered Democrat till a couple of years ago. Um, everybody had right. their own reasons for for doing what they did, and I th I think it is important to take that into context. Although ultimately, just to be clear. Um, I, I a thousand per percent think that Trump is under Putin's thumb and um, certainly there's more than enough evidence for that. But 
Anyway, let's talk about the podcast. <laughs> right. That's a good segue. Right. Oh, and so, by the way, before you ask, I yeah, haven't yeah. invited Vladimir Putin to be on no. my podcast either. No. What a, well, what, let me ask you this. What about any of the other players? Any? I mean, obviously, no. like, no, probably not. And, and you know what? The, the obvious one, the obvious one would be Emin. And um, I haven't asked him to be on my podcast yeah. because – I know the type of um, friendship and relationship we have, and he clowns around. You know, mm. I started on meetings where, with journalists in the past, I'm going way before this, mm. where he gets bored, he's like an overgrown child, where they've said things like, tell us something we don't know about you. And he goes, um, I like to eat human flesh. I mean, he's crazy. Or he'll say, you know, my mother's a heroin addict, but she's doing fine now. Just mad nonsense. Mm. So, a, I wouldn't be able to have a sensible <laughs> conversation with him. And B, I don't think it's the platform. You know, I haven't spoken in person to Emin in, I don't know how many years it is now. It's not the right place for me to begin that by putting him on my podcast, in my opinion. Um, because I have all sorts of things to say, and it's yeah. not necessarily the right platform. <laughs> and so, um, and some of them people know what I have to say because it's all submitted in evidence. Um, but also, uh, the other people in it, no. I mean, I, you know, again, there is this misbelief that I was friends with the Trumps. But nobody took a meeting for me, for Rob Goldstone. They took a meeting for my client, who they'd done business with. You know, I wouldn't have got anybody's attention in that tower. But the point is, you know, who would I do it with? Don Jr.? No, I'm sure, you know... No, uh, Jared Kushner. Jared Kushner, I sat next to at that meeting. I've never seen him before or after. No, not really. It, it's not. Also, my podcast, I should point out, it isn't political. It's uh, a mixture of things um, with different themes. Where those themes involve politics or Trump, the people fit that. But a lot of them are about things that have nothing to do with that world. And so, yeah, I'd like to stay away from the six or eight people that, you know, were in that room for as long as it's humanly possible. <laughs> it's remarkable how, like, Rick Wilson has that phrase, uh, ETTD, everything Trump touches dies. And it right. is, a, you know, like, I don't know if it's, I don't, skill's not the right word, but it's remarkable how all that, all that stuff happened because of him. Like, he, maybe he didn't ask right. for that meeting, but look how it touched everyone, you uh, all the people, some of the people in that room are now in jail. Like, right. it's amazing, actually. And Yeah, it, it is amazing. And it's also amazing. Um, you know, uh, again, I, I, I was doing an interview this morning with somebody who said what's so astonishing is, he said, um, he interviewed Donald Trump in 2012 for something. And he said, I found him fun and interesting and uh, informed and not deranged. He goes, now he's deranged. And what's interesting is, I said, that's the exact period when I met him and knew him a little. And I found him interesting and fascinating and able to connect with anyone. And, you know, I tell that story, which is the reason why I really believed he would be present. And I'm sorry, there's all sorts of banging going on here as well. No. But um, the reason why I believed he would be present is because in... Um, when I was in Russia in 2013 for Miss Universe, you know, Trump was asked to address this group of very powerful bankers and businessmen and oligarchs and whatever. And um, 
and I was in the room. It was nothing to do with me, but I was in the room and, and listening. And the very last question, the head of Sparebank, who Scott fears will perk up there, I'm sure. But the head of Sparebank asked him a question and said, what is your view, Mr. Trump, on the Greek bailout as it relates to the European debt crisis? Something like that. Mm -hmm. And I actually remember thinking to myself, oh, this will be good. I can't wait to hear this. Because he said nothing of anything, of, of any relevance up until then. And Trump stood up and said, before I answer that, have any of you ever heard of a show called The Apprentice? I created it with Mark Burnett. I'm a genius. It's amazing what I've done. I've discovered all this talent. I've made all this money for NBC. And it's also shown in Europe. And there was his reference to Europe. Mm. And he said, thank you. And he sat down and got a standing ovation. And I turned to a friend of mine who's American. And I said, these people look like they've just been addressed by Jesus Christ. Like they're in awe. And all he said to them is, he's brilliant. The show's brilliant. They should watch the show. And it makes a lot of money for NBC. On the way out, in the elevator, he turned to me and said, has there ever been a better self-promoter than Donald Trump? Mm. That summed him up. Donald Trump knows how to promote Donald Trump. And if mm. you like him, don't like him, he knows how to keep you talking about him. And what we all have to agree on is that virtually not an hour, to quote Jeff Tubin in my podcast, not an hour has gone by in the last three and a half years when we haven't been talking about Donald Trump. I want to ask you, what do you think about, since in the last four years, we've seen a, uh, a level of tragedy that is, I mean, this pandemic and so many things that were preventable. Uh, just t the other day, Trump mocking the, you know, the war dead. I mean, soldiers. Mm -hmm. Do you, I, I just, I guess I want to ask you just from a personal perspective, what do you think about the things we've seen and, and just the things that he's done to this country. I mean, do you have any thoughts on, on Trump, Rob? I do. Um, first, I, I thought when he won, well, there's two things. When he won, I, I believe nobody was more shocked than Donald John Trump that he won. I believe he had a speech that said, it's rigged, Hillary stole the election, blah, blah, blah. He won. So first of all, there is a... There's something in that to be careful what you wish for. That's number one. Having won, I hope that he would surprise everyone and say, I am going to surround myself by this really quirky group of the best people, whether they're Democrats, whether they're in politics, whether they're whatever from the moon. I'm not a politician. Therefore, I don't have to follow rules. And I hoped that he would say, you know, even things like, you know, I've asked President Obama if he'll do this because X. I've spoken to my friend Joe, who was a great something. But I didn't expect him to do what he ultimately has done, which is to behave. He's led by his ego. I say it in my book a million times, Donald Trump likes people who like him. So he likes Vladimir Putin because at a time when no one in the world liked Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin mouths support for him. So whether or not he's under his thumb, and I'm not suggesting he is or he isn't, he likes him because for the longest period, Vladimir Putin liked him. 
I think there is an art to getting what you want from Trump. Uh, Governor Cuomo showed that here in New York during the pandemic. When he needed ships and hospitals and the convention center, he's smart. He said, Trump's doing a good job. His team's doing great. New York's being looked after. Within hours, we had hospital ships sailing up the Hudson River. He's smart. They haven't spoken since. You may recall he invited Cuomo to the White House the next week. That's how you have to behave if you want something from Donald Trump. Your question, however, is what, how do I view the things that have happened as a result? I think we have to be realistic here. Donald Trump, and no one's suggesting he did, didn't create COVID, isn't responsible for COVID. Mm. However, what is in question is his response. And you know, I look at, I'm from England originally, I think Boris Johnson had an even worse response to COVID. He wanted to do herd immunity until he almost died of it. And then he changed it. I think other countries, I understand when we go, New Zealand's done an amazing job. New Zealand has sheep and a handful of people and not a lot of people go there. So it's much easier to say, we're closed down, you can't get in and off you go. So, yes, do I think he could have done a better job? Of course. I think what is ironic is that if, and we can discuss this if you like, if Donald Trump loses, it would be because of a pandemic that's almost from like out of a Christopher Nolan action movie that's come from nowhere and not an impeachment a Ukraine scandal, a Russiagate scandal or any of that. In my, in my opinion, it is only COVID that could potentially be his downfall. And that's astonishing to me if you look at what the last three and a half years has been like. <laughs> I have to agree with that. I, there, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so much. I mean, much think to, about it. Yeah. You know, yeah, there's so much. And yeah. yet it's COVID, some, some you know, who has ever even heard of, of such a thing taking hold like this? So it, it is ironic. And, 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 you know, I heard yesterday on, on one of the channels saying, yeah, and Donald Trump's in trouble. You know, he's six or nine points behind. After three and a half years of what, what has happened, and also the way a lot of the media have behaved towards him, he should be 600 points behind, not six or nine. So it's not a clear, you know, nothing's clear in this world. Well, that's true. That I mean, I put that square on, as they say, it takes two to tango. So I put that square on uh, the people who, as they say, his base, who right. uh, seem on a editorializing a little bit, who cannot get enough of 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 hatred. And uh, that's, I guess, for another time. But it's as someone who's been out there covering these protests, and um, it's it's hard to. I don't really know what to say about that. It's just it's so it's so disappointing. Uh, to see how I, I tell you what I do here a lot of, and I don't know if you do as well. Yeah. And it might be sort of as unfair, but you'll let me finish the sentence. So it won't be unfair. If I was on CNN, they'd cut me off. But um, a lot of people have said to me, what, and especially from overseas, what's astonishing to them is that, that the Democrats would have put up a 78 year old to fight Donald Trump. And their reasoning is, you know, this is really the fight of kind of everyone's life, and it may need someone to play dirty, and he doesn't play dirty. 
Well, actually, I couldn't agree with you more there. Uh, I Look, I'm, of course, going to vote for uh, Vice President Biden because I we cannot I do not I know we can't have another four years of this. But yes, I definitely supported some other candidates. And uh, there look, there is a party structure that uh, people get comfortable in government and then they choose. Uh, but look, uh, to be fair, I mean, he Vice President Biden was the choice of um, of the, the, the electorate. And I don't disagree with you, by the way. I'm just, he wasn't my choice, but <laughs> right. And, and that's what's really interesting for people watching this from afar. They yeah. go, you know, he's a very accomplished man, but he's 78. And don't you have to take this, you know, people have called Trump a dictator. Don't you have to do that with somebody that really can not only play dirty, but play in this modern world of Twitter and Facebook and social media and, and I don't know, just just go right at it every, every step of the way. And maybe he can. But but it, when you look at it on the face of it, it, it doesn't always look like that. I couldn't agree more. I mean, yeah, just to maybe just bring up the meeting just another time, one more time. Like this, we're talking about we had our, our one candidate and then we had a candidate who they didn't. Hey, do you want to take this meeting? That seems like not like a good idea. They didn't blink. Um, right. It's like I, I, I agree on that note. Like we do. Well, actually, I couldn't agree more on that. Like. I think you, while I don't necessarily want to bully, I mean, yeah, you need to fight fire with fire. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. Remember that phrase. No, no. You need to fight fire with fire. And you don't need to. Everybody's in agreement. No one's not in agreement that Joe Biden is a very nice, empathetic, kind man. Well, does that beat Donald Trump? I mean, can you? Yes, you can fight fire with kindness, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But but there is a there's a strain of thought that says, you might need somebody that's got the guts to just take him on and punch him in the head. So I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. It's also, I hadn't thought about this before, but somebody, again, on one of my podcasts says, it is a bit odd that you have a 74-year-old president, a 78-year-old challenger, and Nancy Pelosi. Mm, so it's yeah. not exactly like, you know, the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, they're old as well, actually. But, uh, you know, it's kind of it is a bit old get, don't you think yeah i i mean i was i so my candidate i, I was a big harris supporter and still am uh, but right. of course i wanted her to be the presidential nominee right uh, right because i couldn't wait maybe for that by default, well by no. default maybe she is who knows i don't mean <laughs> yeah. that anything happens to him I no i understand that maybe in a, in a year or two he would say you know i'm stepping down or something who knows no that is the word uh that that he would serve four years and that she would take over um yeah of course, I'm just trying to get to the. We all are trying to get to that next, you know, yeah. trying to cross the first bridge before we get to the next one. But exactly, it's been it's been pretty crazy. That's actually why I asked you that question. Not not because of anything with Trump Russia. Just I was just curious as sort of an astute observer, and also someone who grew up in another country before coming here. What you thought about the climate now? I think uh, it's very much like the climate that Britain has over Brexit. I mm-hmm. think. Um, Brexit Britain and Trump America are almost identical. If you, nobody claims, if you see them, they ever voted for Brexit. Nobody except his base ever claims they voted for Trump. And I think the reason is they're these silent voters who are embarrassed 
because they're branded all kinds of things, some of which may be true and some which may not be. But in Britain, if you say you voted for to leave, people say that's because you're a racist, you're sexist, you're misogynistic, you're this, you're that, and you're stupid. And so I think they don't say it. And because of it, it's become very divided in the UK. But in their case, it's not so much about Boris Johnson. It's about Brexit. It's the same lack of grey, as I was talking about before. You're for leave. You're against leave. You're racist. You're not racist. You're sexist. You're not sexist because of how you voted. You're dumb. You're not dumb. And I think that's what happens here. And I think what it's it comes from the top in both cases. And here, especially, I think it's dangerous. I think there is a, an undercurrent, which it will be very interesting to see what the fallout from this election actually is. Because I have to tell you that no matter who wins, it, you know, it, it may not be a very um, smooth as silk transfer, not a transfer of power, but a transfer of, that hardline support from either side accepting what is the result. So I think when people say this is arguably one of, if not the most important election of modern times, they're right. Because we do have this very divided society on everything, about everything. Um, and, and I think it's fueled, obviously, by the rhetoric that we hear in Washington. And it will be, I think the debate will show us a lot. I think that in a way, COVID has given us some shelter from some of the drama, but that's about to be unveiled because there's, is it three debates, I think, to go? I, I, I don't know. I, 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 think it's, um, I think we live in very uncertain terms, times, and um, it, it will be really interesting to see just how that works because I, I'm not sure that no matter which of them wins, the other side just concedes anymore. Well, I think, I mean, I'm always pretty upfront with people. I think that um, the, if, if it is, if, if we are talking in those terms, one side is clearly the, to me, much more dangerous and that's the Republicans. And I'm always upfront with my audience about that, but I do think it needs to be played smart. And uh, I don't know, for me, the whole thing, I'll say this, like for me, I think sh- for me, Charlottesville has been a defining moment. I mean, it'll always be a defining moment in my life. Not that I was there or anything, but that's where I was like, we can either be on the side of humanity and, or we can be one of these Nazis. And that, that, that to me was like the breaking point. Like, and I, in a way like that kind of lifted something off me. Cause then I saw things much more clearly, like you and I, I were on the side of humanity and then there's the other people. So I don't know. Right. And you share that with Joe Biden, of course, because he says that's what made him get into the race. So You're right. I, I, my only question there is, again, as a society, are they looking in 2020 for someone's values and someone's uh, beliefs? Or is it still a country that... See, I don't understand, because I'm not from here originally, how issues like abortion are still, they still come up in debate. I grew up for at least 20 some years in England. I'd never heard anyone talk about an abortion positive or negatively, and certainly not in a political um, campaign. Here, 
it figures with the Supreme Court. It, mm. it makes you say, you know, I'm sure Trump's going to say Ruth Bader Ginsburg, however old she is, you know, and name others. Do you want me to appoint them or do you want Joe Biden? So even if you're a Republican or you're on the fence that, that believes strongly in, in matters like abortion, well, mm. aren't you going to vote for Trump anyway? Because that's what's important to you. I just don't understand how it's still important to people in this age when everything else is falling apart. Yeah. Well, there, there's a great book on how those wedge issues, it's called What's the Matter with Kansas? And it's about how the GOP, the Republicans, perfected the art of using those issues, like what you just said, um, as a sort of a smokescreen to do what they really wanted to do, which is to just give tax breaks. And in a right. way, tr- you know, Trump is the, 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 he's the perfect front man because he's willing to do those things to, you know, make money for himself and right. everyone else. And whether or not he believes that, because uh, oh, he no. said before that, you know, Jared was a Democrat. Well, one of the takeaways I got from that meeting, and I think I told you when we last spoke, that brought a smile to my face, was as the, as this guy was trying to say what this awful deed that Bill Browder and the Ziff brothers had done, and which Jared managed to narrow her down to, which was to fund the Democrats, I remember sitting there laughing and thinking, well, didn't you fund the Democrats? And didn't Don Jr.'s father fund the Democrats? I don't understand why it's an issue. So, yes, you're right. I think Trump will do, and certainly this time around, I think he will do whatever he has to do to hold on to power, not least because there might be some concern that when he's no longer the president, perhaps there are charges to answer on things or investigations to be had. Who knows? But, you know, I think, and, and power begets power. I think he may, in my opinion, he may not have thought he would win, but once he did win, I think he quite liked being in charge. Yeah, and on that note, uh, and, and then I'm going to say for the third time, we're definitely going to, I promise, talk about the podcast um, before we're done. Uh, on the note of standing up to to anybody, to, to evil, a while back we got this letter at Forensic News from, a, I guess, a lawyer who represents an oligarch who wasn't happy about a story and you know we don't have that much money but right. we just stood up to the guy and i don't think we've heard from him again and that to me someone who's much more powerful and has much more money but all you have to do is kind of stand up for yourself and it's amazing how these people just kind of melt away and i have to say interestingly enough you know who would agree with you there is Donald Trump. <laughs> I've heard him say those sorts of things. So I do have to that's, say that, yes, so... I agree with you. And he'd say, you know, I once said on some weird CNN interview that I did, they said, well, how should people behave with Trump? I said, they should behave like they're in the boardroom at the apprentice and scream and call each other bitches and cry and pull hair and throw <laughs> things. He likes that. He likes when people stand up to him and scream and shout and whatever. And so, yes, I agree with you 100%. You can you have nothing to lose and you have everything to gain. And, and that oligarch will have believed that his power, which is only based on whatever his, wherever his money came from would have frightened you away. And no, good for you. And I'm sure you wouldn't hear from him again because it's just, it's, you know, it's outrageous. It, it's how they, they, they get away with, I don't mean murder. Cause now people go, Oh my God, that oligarch murdered someone. But you know what I mean? It's how people like that get away with anything. No, no, you're, you're a thousand percent right. And so that would be my advice to any anybody generally, but definitely in politics. Like a lot of the, the tragedy of what happened in the last four years is that so much of it was avoidable 
if those in the opposition just stood up and said no, no more. Right. No more. Right. I do want to ask you as a fellow uh, podcaster in the final transition to what I've been trying to <laughs> is <laughs> I just want to ask you like you know what do you, how do you like podcasting and just tell us about the show if you could. Sure. So now I've started it, I really like it. And um, I look forward to each interview. And each one, because each episode is themed about something completely separate and out of left field from the last, um, it's very different for me. And, you know, my background, uh, for anyone who cares, was as a journalist and a radio uh, reporter and host in the UK. So it's been 20-something years since I interviewed people. So I enjoy it. I enjoyed it then. I enjoy it now. And um, I think it's, you know, I like that I learn something and hopefully people listening do. But the first four have gone up and already people have said, you know what, I sat in a chair and I made a, a cup of tea, actually, because a lot of them are English. And I sat and listened for half an hour and it made a change. And to be honest, if it gets people off social media for half an hour <laughs> or off watching stuff about Donald Trump on TV for half an hour, then good. And um, some of them, as I say, like the ones with Jeff Tubin or Luke Harding or Tom Arnold or a few others are political. Some of them are with, you know, people in lockdown. What's it like being in lockdown? Because we're going into the fifth or sixth month almost here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's very tough on, on people in many different ways. And then there's some fun ones. There's, there's some really uh, amusing ones. For instance, I interviewed a man who is an etiquette and civility coach, and his job is to teach people how to be civil to each other. And, um, you know, it's funny. We've just spent nearly an hour talking about how the president can't be civil and people can't be civil to each other. Um, and this morning I interviewed the author of a book called Why Can't We All Just Get Along? And it's the same sort of thing. It, we can't. So there you go. We have to move on. Um, but, but yeah, so I've enjoyed it. It's been something very different for me. And, uh, you know, I look forward to, I put about 20 or so, uh, in the can, as we would say in our professional way. So I have 20 of them to go, um, and or 20 of them are done and I'll continue to do them. And there'll be, a, there'll be a new one every Monday. Uh, but even then I interviewed, um, a gossip columnist who was America's top gossip columnist. And he said really funny things like he had advice for Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. And he, he had his top three questions. He would ask them like, is the palace dirty? Does someone, you know, is there an area where, is there an area where the queen keeps the crown? You know, mad nonsense. Wow. But it's a bit of a, in all of this heavy stuff that we have, sometimes you need a bit of light relief. And he shared a story with me, which I will share with you and sure. with your listeners because I think it's relevant. I said to him sometimes, I can't do these things. When I'm asked to do stuff live on TV, I'm like, oh my God, I can't do this. And when I was doing it, he's the one, he said to me, let me give you some advice that I live by. When you have to do something difficult, do what I do. Put your hand on the Bible. But the Bible is Sarah Palin's autobiography. And you look at it and you go, you thought you could be the vice president of the United States of America. I can do this. <laughs> and I thought it was hilarious. And it does, like, he said to me, you know, he appears on Wendy Williams and all these shows. He goes, I don't know what I'm doing. I stick my hand on Sarah Palin's autobiography and said, neither did you. And you thought you could be the vice president of the United States. So I took that to heart and I find it really 
interesting. And a few times I have checked myself when I've thought, oh, my God, I can't do this interview or I can't whatever. And I just think, there you go, Sarah Palin. So she was useful in the end if everyone takes that advice. And, and yeah. that's it. Yeah. And if I can spin that on a, a final note to anyone listening, you, the, the world, you know, it is, it's some dark times right now. There's no question. So if there's something you've been thinking about doing, I know we're all indoors, but just look, look at the individual. I mean, I, I hate that I have to keep bringing them up, but look at individual one, a.k.a. Donald Trump, who is where he is purely from with, with literally no ability except, as you said, the ability to sell himself. So Correct. you listening right now, imagine what you could do, can do, if you just put, you know, put your mind to it. Uh, we could use whatever, we could use you. Exactly. And look, they could end up being interviewed by you on this podcast. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rob Goldstone, uh, any final words, any, uh, any promotions, anything you want to talk about? Any no, I don't sales? think that if we're talking about promoters, as I say, we've said Donald's the promoter. Yeah. Um, no, I just, you know, what, and, I, and I said this last time we spoke, I just hope that your listeners and the people that follow you and follow Forensic Net and Scott yeah. and yourself and all of that, mm. they keep an open mind. They keep that gray out there and they don't close off just this idea that maybe what they want to be true. And mm. I understand how important that is for so many people that they want it to be true so mm. badly. Be open to finding out that maybe not all of it is true. Maybe some of it's true. Maybe none of it's true, but mm. that doesn't make you a bad person or it does what makes you a bad person is when you close off. And, and I go back to that great quote that isn't mine, which is, you know, you're, you're entitled to your own opinions. You're not entitled to your own facts. And I think if we just stick to that, it will make life, it will make social media, it will make Twitter, which is often a hateful place for so many people. You know, it will make it more civil. Otherwise, we're all going to need that civility coach that I interviewed. Rob Goldstone, absolutely great having you back on Counterintelligence, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Thank you for listening. Follow Forensic News on Twitter at Forensic Newsnet. Counterintelligence is at IntelPod. My personal account is Eric LeVay. Support Forensic News on Patreon. Subscribe to Counterintelligence everywhere you listen to podcasts. This is Eric LeVay, and this is Counterintelligence.